This is the Humarian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts for the well-being of yours. This is Amy Baker, and I'm here with Dr. Sean Benzinger and the Humarian Health Podcast. Uh, We are very excited, actually, to have uh, Dr. Brittany Henderson with us today and her book about what you must know about Hashimoto's disease. And so welcome, Dr. Henderson, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. And you have, we just did this um, off air, off camera. It's not really on camera, but off air to kind of talk a little bit about your background and kind of what brought you to kind of your current current place in life. So Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could just take another minute and tell our listeners a little bit about your background and kind of what brought you to um, the study of Hashimoto's disease and just your medical practice and those sorts of things. Yeah, so I am a board-certified endocrinologist. Um, I started out in medicine and internal medicine and did my training in North Carolina and decided to go for endocrine fellowship at Duke University, Um, did a three-year training fellowship there, and then stayed on as faculty to run their thyroid program, Um, and then ended up transferring to Wake Forest. I ran their thyroid program for the last three and a half, four years um, after that, and then recently in January came down to Charleston, South Carolina. We've always wanted to live in Charleston, so um, I have opened up the Charleston Thyroid Center, and it is a thyroid-specific practice dedicated to patients with not only Hashimoto's disease, but Graves' disease, thyroid nodules. We do thyroid cancer. We do ultrasound and some minimally invasive techniques, but we're really trying to um, do thyroid treatment and and treat these patients correctly um, because there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of patients who are not getting the care that they need. Gotcha. So just for our listeners' um, sakes, can you talk a little bit about what exactly Hashimoto's disease is and maybe how it is sort of different from other general categories of hypothyroidism and some of maybe the other um, thyroid-related terms and categories that our listeners may be familiar with? Yeah, absolutely. So the first point, I think, is that a lot of people have hypothyroidism or underactive thyroid. Actually, thyroid medicine, Synthroid, is the number one prescribed um, prescription in the U.S. And so it is extremely prevalent. It's much more common in women, although men can get it too, about 8 to 10 women to men. Um, And so... um, it is usually classified as just plain hypothyroidism and treated appropriately. Well, the majority of hypothyroidism is caused by Hashimoto's disease. A lot of times, though, it's not checked for, it's not actually measured in the blood, and there are ways that we can diagnose it um, just with a simple blood test, something called TPO antibodies or thyroglobulin antibodies. And what Hashimoto's disease is, it sounds, you know, kind of crazy. It was actually um, named for the physician who described it first, and it was Dr. Hashimoto, um, who was a Japanese physician, and he, you know, did a whole paper about how these women had um, infiltration of lymphocytes, lymphocytes being the white blood cells that are responsible for the immune system. And when he looked at these thyroid glands, they were full of these white blood cells. Hmm. And so he first described it, named after him, But what it is, is where the immune system, instead of attacking um, foreign invaders like viral infections and bacterial infections and parasites, actually starts attacking the thyroid gland as being not part of you. 
And that is detrimental um, to the thyroid actually working properly. So you're getting this big immune response against your thyroid gland. And over time, the thyroid stops working appropriately, which is why people develop hypothyroidism. So it's really important to know if you do have hypothyroidism, is the reason for your hypothyroidism Hashimoto's disease, um, which a majority of people, yes, it is. Mm. There are other reasons for hypothyroidism, but um, that is why we wrote the book to kind of explain what Hashimoto's disease is and try to raise awareness that a lot of people with hypothyroid problems actually have this underlying autoimmune problem. Gotcha. So it's it falls in the category of an autoimmune disease or disorder, it sounds like, if I've got that correct. Um, and so is it, are there other things that um, Hashimoto's has in common with other autoimmune type disorders? Yes. Yeah, so um, if you have one autoimmune disease, you're much more likely to develop additional autoimmune diseases. And so we have a whole entire chapter in the book about all of the different types of autoimmune disease. So autoimmune disease just means your immune system is messed up. It can be attacking anything in the body. So it can attack your brain tissue, which sometimes manifests as MS, multiple sclerosis. It can attack the the bowel. So that can manifest as Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. It can attack um, other things. Um, And so... Uh, this is just one form of autoimmune disease. It is very common to see Hashimoto's disease with things like celiac disease, which is gluten insensitivity um, Mm -hmm. or sensitivity syndrome and um, uh, uh, adrenal issues. I mean, you can get autoimmunity pretty much against any tissue within the body. Um, And so, yes, we do see this running with additional uh, immune disorders. Gotcha. Okay. Well, so it sounds very complicated Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like that there are a lot of factors. I'm wondering if there is, are there sort of signs or things that people might experience that they can, can sort of self-diagnose that they're on the pathway to having trouble with their thyroid? Like how does that show up? Absolutely. Yes. So the, the symptoms of thyroid are kind of general. They can be attributed to a lot of different things. I mean, um, it's kind of hard to sometimes pinpoint and get a diagnosis and there's a lot that goes into that. But some of the first symptoms that you might notice if your thyroid is not working properly is um, fatigue. And this is not just, you know, normal everyday fatigue. This is I have to go home and go take a nap. I could just fall asleep right here. You know, I'm having mm-hmm. difficulty waking up in the morning time and I could sleep for hours and hours and hours. So that is one of the, the most common first signs. Um, additionally, the thyroid hormone is really important in your metabolism and your energy balance. So um, a lot of times we will see people gaining weight and they haven't changed anything with regard to their diet. They haven't changed their exercise patterns and they're just continuing to gain Hmm. Um, also we see, um, other issues. So reproductive health, that's really important, um, with the thyroid. So if you have irregular periods or worsening periods, if you don't have a period, if you have any problems with fertility or recurrent miscarriage, the thyroid should be checked. Um, additional issues include constipation, high cholesterol, um, kind of people describe this as like a brain fog, like they're not able to think about words or get things out appropriately or they can't remember what they just did. That's all potentially thyroid related as well. Wow. Systemic. I mean, it's a systemic uh, hormone that controls many things, cell to cell. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Every single cell in the body, um, it, 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 almost every single cell, it has action um, towards, it has a receptor um, within the cells that it, it actually binds to and then helps all of these other organs to function properly. And so when that is off, everything's off um, and we can get lots of symptoms. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. That makes sense. I, I, I tell you, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a <laughs> name of he was an author years ago but it was his grandfather in i think 1898 that started using pig thyroid to be able to help thyroid conditions and i cannot Interesting. i can't think of his name it's <laughs> driving me absolutely bazonkers All maybe I you can, have a thyroid problem i have a thyroid problem cl- and i'm cloudy. confident that <laughs> i cannot think of this but before the end of the show i'm hoping to have this thing but i actually made the mistake one time when i was doing national radio um, to actually have him over from belgium he's originally from belgium and then some local docs, and we were talking about um, just uh, general health things. Um, and um, they didn't get along real well uh, just because um, um, he felt that um, it, we were too quick to move to medications instead of even knowing for sure what was going on with the person. And so uh, in, in Belgium, they have probably in, – in what, what I liked about your book was is that you were drilling down to a clear-cut understanding of cause, effect – appropriate evaluation so we don't miss anything and follow through. And I thought this would be very useful for it. And it's, it, it smacks of what I heard when he was on the show years ago uh, in comparison. So that's what I was excited about in the first place, just so you know. Um, fertility, do you think it's overlooked that fertility is a problem frequently with thyroid-related problems? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> so I think it's missed um, so a lot. I mean, a lot. Without a doubt. And a lot of the guidelines nowadays, you know, they'll, they, some of them don't um, recommend that you check PSH at all during pregnancy or when you have recurrent miscarriage. How um, can most, that be? It doesn't make any I, sense. I don't know. But hmm. most um, actual providers in clinical practice will do that because they realize how important the thyroid is. And there's a lot of, um, there's a ton of uh, data about miscarriage and infertility when your TSH is too high and preterm labor and difficulties with um, uh, learning disabilities in the fetus later on if your thyroid levels are not optimized. So to save a ton of heartache and, um, you know, a lot of medical care, just a simple TSH level and looking and making sure if you are of childbearing age that that is below 2.5. That is the magic number. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about the TSH range and how bogus that is as well. But the other part of this, too, when we're talking about fertility is um, after pregnancy. So we see a ton of Hashimoto's disease after delivery. Right. And the reason for that is because, um, you know, we think that the immune system kind of quiets down during pregnancy for the the woman to tolerate the fetus and for the pregnancy to develop normally. And then the baby's delivered and the immune system revs back up in that postpartum period. And that is when we're seeing a lot of this postpartum thyroiditis, which is a form of Hashimoto's disease. Mm. And so these women will have, you know, excessive weight loss or excessive weight gain. They'll have anxiety and depression and feel horrible. And they're just told, oh, well, you just have, you know, postpartum depression. Here, take this depressive medicine. Mm -hmm. And that's not right. I mean, this is usually a thyroid condition um, when you're having all of these changes. And if we could just get people to kind of check that more regularly, I think we could save people a lot of unnecessary medication and, you know, 
traveling from doctor to doctor to kind of get an answer. Yeah, and I and I'm telling you, the postpartum depression being misdiagnosed again. Uh, so you're singing a wonderful tune today. I'm just <laughs> listening. I was just going, this is so much of what we've seen and um, doing radio for many years and interviewing people. There were many um, organizations trying to say, docs, it's not just depression after having a child. Thyroid is involved over and over and hormones. Then they would check female hormones and would check thyroid hormones. And right. it, 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 it was driving them crazy because it was like they're trying to get the doctor to even listen. And it just makes sense. I mean, your explanation is clear cut. So I have to ask uh, for most of the listeners, why, why check TSH, which is actually not a thyroid hormone itself? Why is that utilized instead of actual thyroid hormone itself? So excellent question. Um, so this is a, a very long answer that I'm going to give. But so TSH, you're right. TSH stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. It is the hormone that comes from your pituitary gland in the brain, which is also known as the master gland. So it's kind of looking at the whole system. Mm-hmm. Are, is your body getting enough thyroid hormone on average? It is an average rating. It's kind of like a hemoglobin A1C for people who have diabetes. That's an average rating of blood sugar over the last three months. But this is an average rating of thyroid hormone over the last four to six weeks is what we think. And so, yes, it is, um, it's a good screening test. But if you're having symptoms, it is much better to get the TSH with um, and interpret it with regard to the free T4 and the free T3. Um, And then also keeping in mind that thyroid hormones change. So this is a hormone. It's just like every other hormone. It has a diurnal rhythm. It comes up in the morning. It goes down in the afternoon. And so it depends on when you check it. And we're only getting kind of a brief snapshot of what the thyroid is doing at that exact moment that the blood is drawn. We're not seeing what's happening for the rest of the month. So a lot of times we get patients, I would say the literature says about 75% of people with thyroid disease have a quote normal TSH. And um, there's a whole debate about what is normal for your TSH level. Our normal ranges are much too wide. And um, the reason for that is because the way that we derived a normal range for TSH was by looking at, you know, 16,000 people who were supposedly normal with their thyroid function and we got, you know, what their normal range was and what what did what was the median, you know, TSH for these patients. Well, you know, several years later they reanalyzed the the blood and the data and found that about you know, 10 to 20% of the population actually had underlying Hashimoto's disease. They had positive Mm -hmm. thyroid antibodies. So they skewed the data. And um, a lot of the big organizations have now come out. ACE, which is one of our endocrine organizations, the American Thyroid Association, um, ACOG, um, which is the OBGYN, and have said, you know, actually a normal TSH range should be between about 0.5 to 2 um, one of them says, I think, about 0.5 to 3. But our ranges right now go from about 0.5 all the way up to 5. And a lot of our guidelines say don't even treat people unless their TSH is above 10 oh because wow. um, oh that's, my. quote, subclinical hypothyroidism. But my <laughs> um, thought with that is if they have subclinical hypothyroidism, they wouldn't have clinical symptoms. So patients with symptoms are not subclinical. Right. 
Makes sense. And, and, you know, years and years ago, from what I have been told, uh, you know, sometimes docs would, if they didn't have access to appropriate testing, they would at least do some trial and error type of treatment, even though that's not what we're recommending here, just to see mm-hmm. if they respond, to see if they're on to the right right theory. But, um, you know, there's a, the old way where they used to check temperature every morning at a certain time. Does that have any value uh, clinically for your, for a doctor to know that? I, th- I mean, I think that's fine for patients to do at home. Just make sure that you're actually getting an accurate reading with right. um, whatever thermometer that you have. But yes, um, there is, the thyroid controls body temperature. So they used to say, you know, get up in the morning time, check your temperature. If it's low, you might be hypothyroid. If it's high, you might be hyperthyroid or too much thyroid hormone. Um, lots of things do affect the thermoregulation or your temperature, but the thyroid is one of the main hormones that does that. So that's an easy thing people can do at home. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And how about birth control? So birth control is, um, you know, multifaceted as far as how that affects thyroid hormones. So if you start birth control, number one, or if you go through menopause on the other end where you're decreasing your estrogen, both of those um, things can affect your thyroid hormone and your thyroid dose. Um, That's because it affects the protein that binds to your thyroid hormone in the blood, and it can really change how much free thyroid hormone your body sees. Um, But in addition to that, you know, it changes what your dosage is. Um, It can also, we think, affect the gut microbiome, which is a whole other part of this. So the gut microbiome is basically the bacteria that line your intestinal tract. Um, they There's good guy bacteria, there's bad guy bacteria, and all of the microbiome and the microenvironment there can affect immunity. Um, so we, we see that, we know that, that there's data behind that. So estrogen and in birth control pills, because it's ingested through the GI tract, can alter the gut microbiome, and we think maybe can contribute to development of some of these other, um, you know, human illnesses. A lot of research is needed in that area, but um, there are things that oral estrogens are doing um, in addition to changes in thyroid hormone in the blood um, that can affect the immune system. Just makes a lot of sense, really does. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, I mean, right now the the standard is if a, if a female starts her periods and they're fourteen years old and and she's hurting too bad, uh, they, they they just put them on the pill. I mean, it's just like what they do, and mm-hmm. they're on it for years without anybody talking to them. Then all of a sudden they start having thyroid problems or they can't get pregnant, and you start seeing this pattern of integration, and, and it's kind of crazy trying to keep it straight. I can only imagine. Half the reason, well, maybe 90% of the reason you set up an isolated clinic as you did was simply because you are seeing all this and you know it's not all being considered on every patient that's walking in most uh, some doctor's offices. Am I saying that Absolutely. correctly? I mean, there's so much that goes into thyroid care. And yeah. so to just put that, you know, okay, one of your like minimal, minimal issues, you know, just go on this that levothyroxine medicine and you'll be fine. Right. Th- that's not true. I mean, this is a activated and we have to be watching this pretty closely. If something changes, if you start a new medicine, if you start birth control pills, if you go through menopause, if your weight changes, your dose changes and and it causes a ton of symptoms so um it takes a lot of time and effort to get this right yep i agree how about diet i mean uh if we're gonna have pizza every night what do you think (laughs) (laughs) 
I have had people ask me this, and they, they've used the pizza. You know what example. they want. <laughs> pizza every night. So, pizza every I mean, night. I talk about diet in the book, and I have a whole chapter dedicated to that. If you Google, you know, what am I supposed to eat with Hashimoto's disease or what am I supposed to eat with thyroid conditions, mm-hmm. you're pretty much told you can't eat anything. Um, so <laughs> that's not doable. Okay, eat but, nothing. Um, Got it. Right. Eat nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little overwhelming, um, and there's not a lot of good data about this, but I will say that, you know, we do commonly see um, celiac or non-gluten um, or non-celiac gluten sensitivity syndrome, which is kind of on the spectrum, mm-hmm. um, as one of the most common food sensitivities. Mm-hmm. We also see dairy as a common food sensitivity, um, but not everybody has the same sensitivity. Not everybody's immune system is the same. Not everyone's immune system has the same same trigger, the yep. same memory. So honestly, it really depends. It really depends. Some people can eat pizza. Some people can't eat pizza. Um, and we're talking about the gluten part of that. So um, in my practice, you know, I really encourage people to watch for symptoms of food intolerance or food allergy. It can be as obvious as uh, throat closing or hives, obviously that's probably an allergy. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be not obvious at all. It could be something like inflammation in a knee or in a shoulder or in hands, or it could manifest as skin problems. Um, all of those things are systemic manifestations of an immune issue that is maybe triggered by a food antigen. Um, there is also directed um, food antigen testing. So we do that in my clinic where mm-hmm. we actually kind of try to figure out what are you reacting to? How can we decrease it in your diet, at least for a short term, and then reintroduce it at um, less frequent intervals? And that really impacts the immune system. So if you're continuously reacting to different foods, your immune system is continuously activated, and that is not good when you have an autoimmune illness. So Yeah, makes sense. Um, makes sense. Yep. All difficult. I mean, I can see, again, I hear you working it through as a complicated disease process that needs evaluation from all points of view. Instead of just, oh, we do the TSH. If you're low, fine. If you're not, then we'll whatever. And I and I love it. It's just great. I mean, I've even had docs say they have, uh, even with gluten-sensitive, non-gluten-sensitive people, they were somewhat concerned, could it be the Roundup? Could it be the chemicals, insecticides for some people, or even mycotoxins that is in some of the enriched white flour products in the United States? While they go over to Italy and they eat the food there, they don't have near the symptoms and their thyroid condition gets better. It's We've seen everything and that's what creates this complicated mesh of disaster. Mm-hmm. I see that, yeah, absolutely in clinical practice. I have people all the time that tell me I went overseas and I felt awesome and I'm eating their <laughs> food and I, I'm good mm-hmm. and then I come yeah. back here and I feel like crap and I'm like, well, yeah, I mean... Everything that's in our food supply is horrible. I mean, we have GMO <laughs> products and everything. We yep. have mycotoxins. We have all Roundup. We have chemicals. I have so many people with chemical exposures, yep. not just in their workplace, but sure. because they live near chemical plants. And there's no regulation on that at all. Nope. Mm-hmm. Nope. No. And, yeah. and, and Amy loves Italy. And oh, I, I, love I know Italy. she'd say she'd come back and said, I feel great over there. What yeah. is that? Oh, yeah. We, we eat stuff over there that you can't. You just can't eat that way here and mm-hmm. feel and feel good and feel good. And mm-hmm. it's not just all it's the walking; so it's the quality and of food or the wine. That, that you know, genetically modifying food was a good idea. Oh my gosh! I mean, that's Come on. Just 
I mean, yes, we can feed more people, but we're all getting sick. And so we're just, you know, yeah, killing we, ourselves a different way here. Right. So We had the opportunity to uh, interview someone that had left the um, – the food administration, uh, simply because um, the way that they process uh, high fructose corn syrup or corn syrups themselves, that in the United States, they still have about 40% of them still carry high mercury levels because that's part of the mm-hmm. processing. Now, they were supposed to stop that uh, something like, I don't remember, 10 to 12 years ago. And she, she, she was a great interview. She just said, just think about it. Every soda that's high fructose corn syrup, you don't know 40% of that is just laced with mercury because they don't test it. And um, that's the problem. And the United States are not supposed to. It's actually against the rules, the law, but nobody's holding them accountable. So you look at doctors like yourself and you look at mercury toxicity and everything else playing with the immune system. Again, you just want to pull your hair out. Which I mm-hmm. which I do, and it's very apparent. <laughs> that's why from most pictures. That's right. And, and yeah. the, uh, the whole other and a whole other topic when we're talking about toxins and environmental chemicals, in addition to causing autoimmune disease, which absolutely I think that's um, a, a huge trigger. I mean, we're seeing thyroid cancer, and we yes. are seeing that among um, you know people who are exposed to radioactive chemicals, and um, we're also seeing that in firefighters because of all the flame retardants that are. On yes. their equipment, Absolutely. and so that plus additional cancers. I mean, poor John Stewart's out trying to help all of the nine eleven victims yep. who all came down with cancer, and they came down with autoimmune disease because yep. of all the chemicals they were exposed to. 100%. So mm-hmm. it's crazy. And the neighbors, yeah. and some of the students around the area. Yeah, it's overwhelming how many different things we're exposed to in a day to day basis, and how much human disease is a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, so, I mean, knowing that it is such a complicated, like, landscape in terms of thinking about thyroid and all the different areas it touches, and even you earlier talking about kind of maybe how it might show up for people from fatigue to, you know, different things. I mean, what maybe is the most important thing to keep in mind or for our listeners, you know, patients and consumers, um, when they're maybe starting to seek a diagnosis, kind of getting their treatment plan in place? I mean, Mm -hmm. what, what are... Do you have some sort of kind of punch list or short top, like top three things that, you know, as our listeners could take away? I mean, it's a, it's a lot of information, obviously, and your book is just chock full of lots of great information. But just in the in the spirit of this podcast is like, OK, here's three things you really should be as a patient, you know, making sure you're advocating for or being aware of or that sort of thing. Yeah, so, no, I mean, number one would be if you think you have a thyroid condition and you're not yet diagnosed, um, find a physician who's going to listen to you and who's going to actually test the full thyroid panel. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really important, uh, especially if your TSH is, quote, in the normal range. It is not normal if you're 30 years old to have a TSH of four or five. That is not normal. Mm-hmm. And, and you shouldn't have to wait years and years and years to wait for your TSH to continue to rise for them to finally put you on medicine. Mm-hmm. There are good physicians out there who will take action, especially if you're having symptoms. It's hard to find them. Um, so, you know, for my recommendations uh, on how to find a good thyroid doctor, number one, you know, look for somebody who specializes in thyroid or has that as a big part of their practice. Even people like that, though, sometimes will not treat. So, um, you know, keep looking. If you're not finding the right person to help you with mm-hmm. your symptoms, 
keep looking um, in, in dif- additional areas. I mean, integrative medicine, functional medicine, those are areas where you may be able to get some help as well. Um, and then, you know, I tell people, utilize your your thyroid community that is in, in your local area. There are Facebook groups, there are online groups or mm. social media that actually can tell you, hey, this person in this community is good. They will actually do your full panel. They will put you on medicine. They know how to dose it correctly, which is a whole other discussion. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, universally across the entire world, we do not do a good job with thyroid hormone replacement. And that is a whole other problem. Um, but at least getting on a medication and trying to control some of the symptoms. Um, and I would say be your best patient advocate. I mean, you're your own patient advocate. You are the person who cares the most about your health. So if you're not getting the um, treatment that you need, if you feel like you're being brushed off, seek another opinion. Don't feel like you're going to, you know, make your doctor mad or, you know, that you have to only stick with what they say. It is okay to get a second or third opinion. If you have a physician that actually cares about your health, they will be fine with that. Excellent. Yeah. Good tips. You know, the only other thing I would uh, kind of just mention, I, I've noted in your in your book, you, you do spend a decent amount of time talking about uh, diet and also certain nutrient supplementation, things like that also, um, which is not necessarily common in just conventional medical approach to this condition. Is that, that correct? Absolutely. So, um, it blows my mind that in typical conventional medicine, nutrition and vitamin therapy is completely negated. And we have so much data to show, you know, vitamin D deficiency. It's associated with a poor immune response. It's associated with breast cancer. It's associated with um, poor bone health and falls and and all of these other things. And so I don't understand why there's not a focus on that for conventional medicine. But in my practice and in the book, we discuss that as being a very important part of how to get the immune system regulated. The immune system needs the proper nutrients in order for it to be regulated appropriately. Anti-inflammatory vitamins are so important. Antioxidant vitamins are so important to try to um, correct the immune response. So um, we we definitely address that, and that is a super important part of, of thyroid care as well. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, great information. Um, it, again, points out um, the necessity of someone such as yourself that uh, apparently had someone come alongside of you and say, hey, you got to write a book about this because nobody really knows what's going on. And um, I think that is fabulous. And I want to commend you as to doing that. And I know Amy and I appreciate you coming on the program uh, to talk about Hashimoto's disease and just the, I, I, I guess that's the disease, but really talk about what thyroid health looks like. And we're going to highly recommend this book. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the, um, the opportunity to talk to people about it. And I'm really passionate about trying to change it for people. Yeah, absolutely. Right on, Dr. Henderson. We thank you for coming on. Amy Baker, Dr. Sean Benzinger. Humarian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts. For the well-being of yours. That's right. Thanks for having the guts to listen to the Humarian Health Podcast. If you have things you'd like to gut check, send us an email at gutcheck at humarian.com.